Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Hello and welcome to Where to Go. I'm James Atkinson, Senior Brand Manager at DKI Witness. And I'm Lucy Richards, Senior Editor at DKI Witness. And welcome to Where to Go, where every fortnight we find out more about the world's favourite travel destinations with the people who know those places best. And today, Lucy, we're covering some of the best destinations to visit this winter with some DKI Witness experts. Yes, which is wonderful because obviously, James, you and I won't be going anywhere this winter. Absolutely nowhere. (laughs) Yeah, you may have heard, if you've uh, listened to your previous episodes, that both me and Lucy will be pretty indisposed of this winter with the sound of tiny little feet yeah exactly is that that, that the phrase i don't know (laughs) but there we go so i think we're just going to live vicariously through some of the amazing destinations that our guests are going to talk about so there's going to be a few familiar faces podcast listeners will be pleased to know and one new face as well so first up we've got the recommendations of friend of the pod dan stables He'll be taking us through some winter recommendations for Europe. So welcome, Dan. Welcome. Thanks very much. Yeah, thanks for having me. So listeners, you'll remember Dan from the Manchester episode from a few seasons back. And since then, he's been very, very busy with the the Hungry Ghost podcast, which is fantastic. Highly recommend you all go and check it out. But Dan is back for our very special episode today to take us through three very special winter locations, which we will be going through right now. Right, so do you want to introduce us to your first destination? Sure, yeah. So the first place I've chosen is Andalusia in southern Spain. Mm. What sets Andalusia apart then from the rest of Spain, Dan? I guess the kind of the biggest thing, culturally speaking, is the sort of Moorish influence. So for mm. something like 700 years, I think the 8th to the 15th centuries, it was Al-Andalus, it was under Moorish control. And so it has a very strong sort of Islamic influence and North African influence and so the architecture there is like this amazing fusion between Christian Islamic style the food as well has that influence lots of desserts with like honey and almonds and stuff like that Mm. in and so it's kind of got a very distinctive culturally very distinctive um, feel but then it's I mean weather wise it's kind of different from the rest of Spain you know they call Seville the frying pan of Europe because it's so hot Mm. in the summer yeah so it's kind of I mean 
in my opinion, it's nicer weather in the winter than it is in the summer. It's you're talking about seventeen degrees Celsius in December okay. in Seville, so nice bit of winter sun if you're going, if you're going from the UK. Because I know it does get up to about forty three or so in the summer, doesn't it? Yeah, it can go really, is, really high. That's too hot in my opinion. <laughs> Far too hot, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's also kind of quieter as well in because the high season over there is sort of March to June, and then September to October or November. So where where might be kind of shoulder seasons in other parts of the world is is their sort of high season so winter time is a bit quieter so a bit smaller crowds mm. and there's loads of like famous sites in andalusia i mean one that comes to everyone's mind is the alhambra mm-hmm. but tell us some things that listeners really shouldn't miss when they're visiting well i'll say i mean yeah you said it and it is a bit obvious but the alhambra is like an absolute must it's like i'd say it's probably the most amazing building that i've ever seen which obviously it's subjective mm. but even pushes out the Taj Mahal for that title, mm. in my opinion. Wow. Yeah, and again, it's just this kind of amazing um, blend of architectural styles. I call it Nazareth architecture, but it's like mixture of sort of Gothic influence and then Islamic influence, this amazing geometrical carvings and stuff like that. And the scale of it is amazing. It's on the top of this hill overlooking Granada and you've got like these really dark sort of, um, I think it's cypress trees like framing it. It's just, you go to these viewpoints where you can, which are really busy, even in December, people taking pictures of it. And it is just an amazing thing to look at from a distance. Then when you go there up close, it's even more amazing. Mm. And again, it's I mean, it's busy year round, but December is probably one of the quietest times of year, I would say, probably to go. So, yeah, it's worth doing. Got to book it in advance to make sure that you can get in. But um, got to be done. Yeah, because it is kind of like a sort of city inside a building, isn't it? Yeah. The vast scale of it is huge. It's always been on my list and I don't know why I've never been. Um, <laughs> listeners will hear that so many so many times but yeah I've always wanted to go and actually really helpful to know that December is a little bit quieter as well yeah and I mean you can spend all day in there it's like like you say it's a massive complex of gardens and buildings and stuff but they give you a timed slot for the Nazareth palaces which is like the the most famous part and then you have to stick to your slot for that but then the rest of the time you can just wander around you can go to um the Henna Alife which is like this was the sort of pleasure gardens for the kings that lived there just an amazing amazing place somewhere else i mean on a kind of similar note again it's really really famous but it's got to be done is the mesquita in cordoba which is they also call it the mosque cathedral because it's it was a mosque and then it was a Mm. cathedral and then it was like it's kind of encapsulates the kind of influence that the moorish rule had and then the, the reconquista as they called it when christians took control again of that that part of Spain. So now it's a cathedral, but it's like got these amazing um, sort of Moorish arches and very distinctive, like red and white sort of candy cane striped arches. And it's, yeah, again, it's just probably one of the most amazing buildings that I've ever seen. The Alcázar in Seville is another one, which is was a royal palace. Yeah. Again, just stunning. It's kind of less mm. like, I don't know, it feels a bit less old somehow than the Alhambra. I don't know if it is less old, but it's like, you know, the gardens are still very well tended and all that. It sort of feels like you, you step into it and you're like, well, you could be, you know, in its back in its heyday sort of thing. And yeah, again, just absolutely amazing uh, architecture there. Some of that isn't a building so much is, again, in Granada, if you're into sort of writing poetry uh, in any way, then there's a couple of things that you can do to do with Federico Garcia Lorca, who was like probably Spain's most famous poet, and he was very much associated with Granada. Mm. And you can go to his house. So there's a museum there as well. 
And yeah, it's various places you can sort of walk in his footsteps in Granada as well. It's a good spread. Brilliant cultural tour. Yeah. So moving away from buildings and culture and talking about something that I'm not very au fait with, but outdoor Mm -hmm. activities, Dan, what can you get up to in winter there? Well, again, I mean, if you're just sort of trying to get away from the heat, which... A lot of people, even Andalusians do, you know, if you go in August, it's, it's, the cities are pretty much deserted because they all go to the mountains. Mm. So the, the Sierra Nevada mountains are obviously cooler because you're on a higher elevation and you can go hiking there. You can also, I mean, away, not quite so much in the mountains, but there's a place called, there's an amazing hiking trail. It's near Malaga, actually, called uh, the Carmenito del Rey, the King's Path, which is like this walkway. It's like literally affixed onto the walls, on the side of the walls of a really steep gorge. It's one of the most famous walking trails in Spain and you can, I'd recommend doing that in the cooler months, certainly rather than the, the height of summer. Mm. But um, also in winter, you can, believe it or not, go skiing in Andalusia. Wow. Yeah, I saw that. I saw this in your notes. I want to know more. <laughs> yeah. Europe's southernmost ski resort is a place called Pradoyano and it's in the Sierra Nevada mountains. And um, I mean, I don't think it's quite up there with you know, the verbiers of this world in terms of development and stuff like that. But it's a place that you can go skiing in southern Spain, which is not something you'd necessarily associate with that part of the world. Amazing. Absolutely not. And uh, finally on Andalusia, I mean, you said about December being a good point to visit. Tell us about some of the Christmas celebrations and what makes them particularly special. As you can probably imagine, they go pretty mad for Christmas uh, in Spain in general, including in Andalusia. So, I mean, there are nativity scenes absolutely everywhere you look literally every of course of well course. maybe not every but loads of shop windows i'm reliably informed that pretty much every office will have a nativity scene uh schools and stuff obviously whereas over here you know nativity performances and plays and stuff might be limited to maybe primary school mm-hmm. kids certainly in my experience <laughs> i was always one of the wise men <laughs> <laughs> yeah me too me too actually uh, or a shepherd maybe occasionally i'd never made it up to the ranks of shepherd no, so <laughs> yeah but they so they'll over there quite a lot of towns will actually have you know like live action nativity performances where the townsfolk will dress up and do it in the squares and stuff play out the nativity what else desserts in particular i mean various sort of christmas foods but in particular sweet foods so they've got Almond Tehran, which is like an almond sort of nougat thing, which you get everywhere. And um, wine donuts, believe it or not, as well. So it's like kind of more like a cookie than a donut, but it's like shaped like a ring donut. And uh, it's got sweet wine, like sort of sherry, I think like phenotype wine in the mixture of the sort of cookie dough. Mm. And it makes like a nice sweet sort of slightly whiny donut cookie type Mm. thing great and then also actually not christmas but if you if you stay there for new year famously in in that part of spain they do the old on the strike of midnight you've got to try and eat 12 grapes (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) with every strike with every strike yeah and if if you if you manage to do it i think you you get good luck for the rest of the year i don't know what happens to you if you don't (laughs) have you given it a go yeah we did it we were there in um uh, for new year new year just gone actually i was in i think it was granada we did a tour of seville granada cordoba and um yeah got the grapes in <laughs> you got the grapes in success yeah so, and it's been a pretty good year so far good. so okay th- maybe there's some truth in it yeah very nice and you've chosen a very different destination for your second choice dan do you want to tell us a bit about iceland sure yeah i mean iceland you know probably one of those places if you think of like a wintry landscape covered in ice snow <laughs> you might think of iceland but uh yeah i was lucky enough to go to iceland a couple of winters ago in uh, november and december i was there and 
like a lot of places it's amazing year round i think there's it's great for hiking and stuff in the summer as well but you know if you go there in in the winter you really get the proper spectacular sort of land of ice and fire experience so you can see like you know the ice fields and stuff we went i was lucky enough to go hiking well as if you call it a hike but like exploring in ice caves which are inside a glacier which was pretty mm, amazing awesome yeah in, it's in a place called um <laughs> this is where i try and pronounce Icelandic <laughs> words it's called Vatnajökull national park okay. and it's yeah famous for its sort of glacier fields and then i mean the part of the beauty of iceland is nowhere's that far away from anywhere so i think at that point i was still staying in Reykjavik, and we just drove out into the countryside this place got out of the van and then walked for a bit 20 minutes later suddenly we were walking on top of a glacier and then there was like a, a hole inside of it, a cave and um went in it and then yeah i mean it's i mean it's kind of impossible to explain other than you're literally in like <laughs> an amazing cave of ice which looks as if it's been sort of chipped away because of all the like the angles and the patterns but it you know it hasn't it's just formed that way and it thought they completely natural yeah and they form differently every single year obviously because it's it's ice that so melts and then freezes again so it's quite an amazing experience actually to be able to explore a landscape like that which is only going to be there yeah like that when you're there in, in that moment so yeah that's a must do if you're in iceland i'd say over the winter you say about kind of like winter being the chance to see the kind of complete iceland i know people have started going like all year round and in summer and spring but is that because all the ice and snow is actually there because and I'm guessing you've got the full wrap-up experience as well in terms of getting the layers on yeah you do it's actually kind of less cold than I was expecting it to be I mean it was pretty cold but it wasn't like it wasn't that cold but um yeah I also that time of year is the only time really that you can see the northern lights mm. if you're lucky that's what I was going to ask Dan so I think you have seen the northern lights yeah I have I, I was very lucky so I think like a lot of people, I was chatting to my tour guide. I did a tour with a really good company called Hidden Iceland. And um, we did a tour that was like a few days long. And we went out to various of, of the national parks and stuff. And um, I was chatting to him and he said sometimes he does the Northern Lights tours, which is just specific. You go out from Reykjavik at night and you drive around on a bus for four hours and, you know, you hope to see the Northern Lights. But he said people are so often disappointed because they're so unpredictable the northern lights mm. it has to be the perfect combination of you know atmospheric conditions no cloud and he said pretty much every time he's seen them has been kind of by accident and um sure enough my girlfriend came to Reykjavik just for the weekend I was, I was in Iceland for a couple of weeks and we did that tour and didn't get to see anything but then when I was out on this multi-day tour and we were just in the middle of the countryside somewhere and near some kind of like hot springs place because there's like apps on people's phones that you can kind of track whether it's likely you might see them where you are mm. that night and a guide had said to us look you know don't get your hopes up but there's a possibility they might show themselves tonight and then i was asleep it was at like one two in the morning and i sort of heard down the corridor of the hotel like you know shuffling of feet and murmuring <laughs> And um, I literally thought, I cannot be bothered to get to get out of bed. I was like half awake. But then I was thinking, I, I, sh I better had because it might be the Northern Lights. So managed to get myself out of bed. And, and sure enough, it was the Northern Lights outside. And just this, I mean, I think what I saw wasn't, was not by any means the most spectacular showing of the Northern Lights, but it was still was pretty spectacular. You know, the classic sort of green and bit of red and just this band of light sort of across the sky and went on for maybe maybe half an hour and then it stopped and yeah amazing thing to see but completely by accident was your girlfriend there at that point Dan or had she had she gone no she'd gone home oh no so, <laughs> oh, no she was Shame. not best pleased about no, that no I'm sure but 
you know, it's sadly, it's just the way the way it is over there. You can't really um, predict it. I guess that's part of what makes it so special as well as the fact that it can't be planned. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What I will say about the Northern Lights is they're worth getting out of bed for, for sure. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I can totally imagine yeah. that. And you mentioned a bit about staying in Reykjavik and spending a few weeks mm-hmm. there and stuff. I remember we touched on Reykjavik a little bit in a previous episode of the podcast, but I think it's kind of like becoming one of Europe's kind of coolest new cities in a way, isn't it? Any kind of recommendations for that? I mean, it is a really cool city and it's very, I mean, it's it's so, even calling it a city seems kind of like, of course it is a city, it's a capital city, mm. but it's so small that it's very accessible. You know, you can get pretty much everywhere on foot and... Yeah, there's some really cool things to see there. There's um, the Halgrimskirkje. I think that I'm pronouncing that right. Probably not, but that's like an amazing sort of really like modern sort of space age like church building. I think it was quite controversial when it was built because it's so unusual looking. But uh, that's quite a cool thing to see. There's some great food. There's some not so great food as well. I tried, you might have heard of the fermented shark dish that they have over there yeah i have was it good we're getting into hungry ghost territory here aren't we we are a bit yeah but i'm not sure i say it was good <laughs> i mean they bring it in a little sort of sealed hermetically sealed jar thing and it which kind of says it already because they don't want like other diners to be able to smell it so you may just <laughs> open it seal it again and then have a little cube of shark meat it's like fermented greenland shark on a cocktail stick and then um you eat it and it's kind of Kind of tastes like hair dye is how I would describe it. Like the smell of hair dye. <laughs> you know, it's an experience. It's an experience. Yeah. Maybe maybe not as important as seeing as the Northern Lights. Yeah, maybe not. <laughs> Excellent. All right. So should we move on to your third and final destination? And we are going back into South Europe here. Mm-hmm. So you've selected Malta. I have. Yeah. Which is very much a traditional summer destination in my view. Mm. So I'm quite interested to hear about it in winter. Well, I think it's kind of slightly less extreme than, for example, Seville, places like that. It's quite nice still, temperatures in the summer, but quite similar in the winter. So it's, I think probably something like 17, 18 degrees Celsius in December. So it's quite, it's good for a winter sun destination if that's what you're looking for. It's also, I would say, I mean, Malta's got these amazing, really, really ancient historic sites that you can go and see. There are temples there, which are some of the oldest buildings in the world, in fact, which I'm not even going to try and pronounce because uh, I think Icelandic was beyond me and Maltese <laughs> even more so. But, <laughs> but yeah, the megalithic temples, they're known as a whole of Malta. And I think if you want to go and explore stuff like that, which I would completely would recommend doing, mm. you know, doing it in the heat of summer, it's probably not the best sort of time. Winter mm-hmm. temperatures are, are probably a bit better for that, I would say. And again, it's just quieter than because like you said, it's it's famous as a summer destination. And it's great to go in the summer, but it's I think it's probably significantly quieter, actually, in, in December, January sort of time. And away from, because obviously Malta is thousands and thousands of years old, away from that sort of history and culture, I think the coastline's meant to be pretty amazing. It's stunning. I mean, sadly, there was the, the famous sort of rock arch off, I think it was off Gozo, which is no longer there. It just mm. collapsed for, you know, from yes. natural causes, which I never got to see, yes. but that would have been an amazing thing to see. But yeah, there's all sorts of amazing cliffs, coves, lagoons and stuff. There's the Blue Lagoon, which I did a boat trip to the Blue Lagoon, where, yeah, just, I mean, kind of is what it says in the tin. It's a very blue <laughs> lagoon, amazing <laughs> water. I can attest to that. It's very blue. I've seen it. <laughs> And I think nearby there's, um, is it the Crystal Lagoons, which are, again, very crystal clear water and you can go snorkeling and stuff and swimming. And yeah, so it's definitely a boat trip would be high on the list of things to do there, I would say. Mm. What did you think of the cuisine over there? Because I know it's like quite a bit of a, 
it's a it's a kind of meeting place of loads of different cultures malta mm. you kind of got an italian influence you've got an english influence yeah. strangely and then and then you've also got kind of a, almost an arabic african influence yeah. as well slightly yeah um but yeah does it does it i'm guessing lots of delicious seafood yeah a lot of delicious seafood a lot of sort of salted fish which i think is possibly like you know from maybe a portuguese influence or something like that but um there is the very, as you, you touched on, a very noticeable British influence on various elements of the culture, but including the cuisine. Bovril is very popular in Malta, bizarrely. Seriously? Yeah. Huh. <laughs> I don't know where they got this idea from, but they eat it mixed with pastina and laughing cow cheese. Oh. Which is like a, a popular childhood dish, apparently, which sounds yeah. pretty awful. <laughs> to me but <laughs> sounds kind of wintery though it sounds yeah. like a british wintery dish never mind a maltese one well interestingly a lot of the food is quite it's very sort of hearty like more than you might expect mm. i'd recommend uh, very much going to uh, there's a restaurant in the malta maritime museum which is in valletta and they do a tasting menu from or at least when, when i was there they did a tasting menu from 1757 so it was meant to be like a snapshot of you know the, the various influences at that time on maltese cuisine so they had things like rabbit stew but they also had like maghrebi lentil soup and they had a pasta like a baked pasta sort of thing these sort of italian influence so yeah the food's really interesting so you can go enjoy all of that and then have some bovril afterwards exactly a nice dessert of bovril <laughs> and laughing cow cheese <laughs> why not and finally on Malta, just to touch on it, did you have much of a chance to explore the smaller islands as well, like Gozo and Camino? I remember Gozo being pretty sort of almost wild, kind of like quite rural. So like I said, I did a boat trip to the Blue Lagoon, which is off Camino, but didn't get to explore Camino on land. Gozo went to very briefly and yeah, it's just very, very sort of rural and quiet and yeah, sort of land that time forgot sort of in the, in the nicest possible way. So yeah, it's very, very chilled. I think quite a lot of operators do like a tour to Gozo and then you go out into the countryside and you have a picnic and then you get back on the boat and then you go back and it's just very nice, like chilled way to spend a day. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very nice. Well, I think those are three brilliant ways of uh, spending your winter. So thanks very much. That very, very different as well. All three of them. Yeah. It's always good and always good to talk food as well with you, Dan. I knew a few disgusting things would turn up. (laughs) (laughs) Glad to be of service. Next up, new to the podcast, we have DK's Senior Manager for Digital Strategy, Leela Siddiqui, joining us from New York City to talk about her US winter recommendations. So welcome, Leela. Welcome. Hi. Thanks so much for having me. We are chuffed to have you, Leela. It's so nice to be speaking to you. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you for joining us. So tell us then about your first recommendation and what makes it special in winter. So definitely the Pocono Mountains in Pennsylvania in the winter. There's tons of activities to do. I usually go there and visit with my friends or my family. We'll go skiing, snowboarding. I actually can't do either of those things. So I go snow tubing, uh, which is basically (laughs) going down a giant slope in a giant tire. And it's super fun. And yeah, it's just a, a great cozy time. Lovely. And the, I mean, the Poconos seem pretty accessible as well, right? They're not too far from like New York or Philadelphia. Are they kind of easy to get to from those cities? Yeah, definitely. Um, from New York, it's about two to three hours. 
And from Philly, I believe it's a bit shorter. I actually have friends in Philly and we've met in the middle. Nice. And it's been pretty easy to get to for all of us. Cool. I have to say the tubing sounds absolutely amazing. I cannot ski or snowboard, so Lida, I'd be joining you on Great. that. But what other kinds of things can visitors do in the Poconos? So I feel like the Poconos are just a great year-round destination. Obviously, in the winter, you have the winter activities and if those don't suit you can also go snowshoeing which is basically a winter hike with snowshoes a little wonky to get around or get used to but you know it's just (laughs) very very spectacular I mean the Poconos are are beautiful it's just this region with forest lakes and valleys so there's so much to do year-round in the spring and summer we usually go up for hiking The Delaware Water Gap region hosts river tubing, so you just get a cooler with drinks, get on a a raft, and just let the river take you anywhere. And same with the fall, except with that you have the fall foliage. So yeah, it's just a great year-round destination. Awesome. And are there any particular sort of resorts or towns that you would recommend staying in the Poconos? Yeah, so the highest point of the region is Camelback Mountain, and there's a major resort there. So you can uh, go there for skiing, snowboarding, things like that. And they have, you know, the cozy chalets nearby you can rent. And the main resort has great food, great drinks. So it's it's a really nice place to visit. The second would be the Delaware Water Gap region, because that has the sort of river hiking, things like that, that you can do. Nice. Cool. Salila, does it get does it feel Christmassy when you go in winter? Oh, definitely. It's like um, you know, when you're in New York, you don't get as much snow and there's buildings everywhere. So it's like you're in yeah. a winter wonderland when you're there, just rolling hills of snow and you know, you can get cozy with hot chocolate. It really feels like you're in the North Pole in a good way. Wonderful. Well, if we're going from sort of like a cozy destination in the north of America, let's go quite far south. Tell us a little bit about where you've chosen for your second destination, Leela. So I'm from Texas, so I chose San Antonio, which is mm-hmm. not a far drive from Dallas, about two to three hours as well. And what makes San Antonio such a great city to visit? So San Antonio has just a very rich cultural history. There's the Alamo, which is sort of the main attraction there. It was a church that was integral in the battle for independence between Texas and Mexico. So there's a museum there. But in general, there's some really nice sites like the Riverwalk. There's art galleries and there's other museums as well. And the food is incredible. And are there any kind of special events that sort of bring the city to life over winter? Yeah, so the Riverwalk is usually transformed with lights and nearby churches are decorated with candles. It's just such a sight. Yeah, it sounds incredible. Can we just circle back, though, to the food? (laughs) (laughs) Because Texas It's a theme this this episode, Lucy. (laughs) Yeah, the food. Texas obviously has such a unique cuisine. What are some of the things that you would recommend visitors must try when they visit? So, um, you know, I think people often think of Mexican food as burritos and quesadillas, and that would be more of a Tex-Mex thing. In San Antonio, during the winter especially, you can get some really great comfort food that is, you know, traditional Mexican cuisine. So you can get pozole, which is like this really aromatic, delicious stew. You can also have tamales. And of course, mole, which is this savory, 
chocolate sauce that you can have with chicken and rice. Mexican food is just very much comfort food. So in the winter, when you're in San Antonio, you will you will have your fill. Excellent. Sign me up. I'm kind of there. I got I, <laughs> I lost you at mole. It was. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> That's excellent. Obviously, you're quite far away from the Poconos in in San Antonio. What kind of temperatures can you expect during winter? It's actually very mild. It doesn't get too cold. I can only speak in Fahrenheit. It could probably go down to the 30s at night. But usually it's very mild, kind of like L.A. would be in the in the winter, you know, light jacket weather, maybe throw on a coat at night. But um, it's usually pretty mild. Sounds lovely. Well, thank you very much, Leela. Great podcast debut, and hopefully we'll have you back on again soon. Thank you so much. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So next up, we have returning guest, senior editor Zoe Rutland. Welcome, Zoe. Thank you. Welcome, Zoe. So nice to have you back. Great to be here. And so you're going to be talking to us about where to go in Asia this winter. Yes, I am. So where are we kicking off with? So we're kicking off with Seoul. Cool. And I'm just going to start by taking us through what makes Seoul a great place to go in winter. And I'm going to start with a cliché. But that is that Seoul has soul in the winter. (laughs) It's just, there's generally just quite a magical air about the city in the winter. Temples and palaces get blanketed in snow. People cozy up in tea houses and saunas. But on a practical level, crowds are at an all-time low because summers are really humid and prices are much more expensive in the summer and it's full of visitors. So Mm. winter's just a great time to go to keep prices low, yep. you have more of the city to yourself. And yeah, winter just has its charms for many reasons. And can you tell us a, a sort of a couple of the best things to do in Seoul during winter? Yeah, so super heavy snowfall is rare in Seoul, but it can still be really brutally cold there. So it's a perfect time to go to a jimjilbang. And this literally means heated room. And it's basically a bathhouse that oh. uh, locals visit to hang out in and unwind in year round but they obviously provide an entirely different sense of comfort in the winter. So, I mean, personally, what better way is there to warm up than soaking in a hot bath and sweating out in a sauna, <laughs> and then you go and unwind in a communal sleeping room. It just sounds lush. Mm. So there's that, and there's, if you'd rather stay dry and not sweat it out, 
but you want to still be cosy and warm, you can go to a traditional tea house. And there are so many across Seoul and many of them are located in traditional Korean buildings, which are called Hanok. And these buildings, they traditionally have an underfloor heating system. So you'll have coziness emanating from below you, as well as that steaming cup of tea in your hand. So that's another lovely activity to do in the winter. Amazing. And the last thing I'm going to mention is that for people who are fans of the bracing cold, which I'm not a fan of of going out in the cold, but there is reason to stay outdoors in Seoul. Obviously, I've already mentioned that temples get snow capped and it's just generally very beautiful in the winter Mm. but one of the main ways to get into the winter spirit in Seoul is by visiting an ice skating rink so many pop up around the city and the locals love them and the most popular tends to be the Seoul City Hall ice rink and that's in the middle of Seoul Plaza and it's quite good because there's one rink for new skaters and one for the more experienced so you can choose between them but they both have a view of a really huge, lovely Christmas tree that's lit up. And there is also the Olympic Park ice skating rink, which is a pretty cool place to skate. It's where the 1988 Seoul Olympics were held. So it has incredible views of the Olympic Park arches and the famous Lottie Tower. So, yeah, those are some some of the best things to do across winter. That sounds a lot sort of more cosy than what I'd associate yeah. Seoul as being. Yes, that's the word I was yeah. going to use. So cosy. Yeah, I often think of like Seoul as being like kind of very technological, very, I don't know, like thinking of K-pop, yeah. K-drama, etc. That sounds like much more homely almost. Yeah, and I think that's probably why it's such a great place to go in the, in the winter because it's not as crowded and mm. you can just kind of cosy up and do all of those lovely things. I think you mentioned Christmas trees, but are there any other sort of particular events festivals happening in Seoul in winter? Yeah so I can quickly touch on Christmas because it is celebrated as a national holiday and people do tend to spend the day with friends and families. Christmas you know like most cities around the world it takes over the city. There are Christmas lights strung in shopping malls and skating rinks decked out in Christmas trees but something that's that would be great to touch on is Solal which is Lunar New Year and that happens at the tail end of winter in January or February And it's all about ringing in the new year according to the lunar calendar. Happens across Korea, but um, in Seoul in particular, many museums, those that aren't closed for the holiday, they host special events, so traditional performances and games. And yeah, it's just a, a great time to gather and eat delicious food, share words of wisdom for the new year. So yeah, that's probably a, one of the best events over the winter in Seoul. You mentioned a bit of food there and we can't <laughs> touch on Korea or Seoul without talking a little bit about food. Are there any kind of like dishes that are popular in winter? Yeah, so you've got the kind of dishes that stave off the winter chills. So you've got comforting bowls of gomtang, which is a soup of beef and rice and that's seasoned to, to taste. Obviously, you can't go to Korea and not have some kimchi. You've got kimchi jjigae, which is yeah. a hearty bowl of hot kimchi stew. But also, if you're wandering around street food markets, which you should be doing in Seoul because it's a highlight of the food scene, you've got tteokbokki, which is a classic and it's a classic street food dish and it lends itself really well to the winter because it tends to be very hot and spicy. It's soft, chewy rice cakes simmered in a sweet and spicy sauce. So it will heat you up from the inside out. And then the last thing I'll mention in terms of Seoul and food is Korean barbecue. So going to a barbecue joint is an everyday mm pastime in Seoul but I would argue that it's probably better in winter because you're grilling meat on hot coals and you're warming up with shots of soju so yeah you want to do that in the winter you don't want to be sweating out in the summer doing that totally yeah 
spot on yes absolutely <laughs> that sounds very lovely I mean we keep saying cozy but yeah it just it's a totally different side to soul than I've ever sort of seen before so you've got a second destination Zoe I know you've been working on Hello South Korea our book for a book about sort of career and Korean culture and soul like a local as well and soul like a local yeah but I know your next project is Be More Japan the next edition of that and that takes us to Japan so whereabouts in Japan are we specifically going to yes so we're going to one of the northernmost of the main islands in Japan. So it's Hokkaido, and it's one of the five largest islands. And it's actually known as a region of fire and ice. So mm. it's great for the winter. And it's characterised by its looming volcanoes, its fertile plains, and the perfect skiing conditions. So for many of these reasons, people attest that it feels like a different world to the rest of Japan. And so you mentioned about the skiing. Why is it such a great place specifically for visitors to go in winter? So Hokkaido stands out for its heavy snows. So its capital is Sapporo, and that gets a whopping six metres or 20 feet of snow annually. And temperatures in the winter can dip as low as minus 15 degrees or five Fahrenheit. So it gets pretty cold and pretty snowy, but that makes it a haven for winter sports. And it's also got the most reliable ski season in the world. So it's got great quality powder, and that's arguably found in Nsiko. which also has great apres ski and excellent conditions for snowboarding if you're not into skiing and you want to do something a bit different. But then for those people that don't like winter sports, there are also outdoor onsen or hot springs, which are known here as Rotemburo. And Hokkaido has, as I've mentioned, it has smouldering volcanoes. Hokkaido has more Rotemburo than any other prefecture in Japan. So... You can give the skiing a miss and you can simply relax in steaming waters and just overlook wintry surrounds. So you still get those great views, but you're not doing as much of the work. (laughs) I'll be doing that one. (laughs) A bit of both. Something for everyone. Fantastic. And yeah, I mean, I know Hokkaido is kind of being like, in terms of the Japanese islands, it's probably the one that I kind of know the least about or the area that I know the least about. Are there any kind of like particular events or festivals kind of going on during winter? Yeah, so many events see people through the cold months, but I would say the most famous is the annual Sapporo Snow Festival. And that is hundreds of giant, intricate sculptures that have been crafted from ice and snow, and they take over the central central parts of the city. And it basically becomes a fairy tale land of ice, and that happens in early February. Yeah. And I would say it's even more epic to witness it at night because the sculptures, which often are of global landmarks or even sci-fi characters, they're illuminated with neon lights. So it's very cool. And so, like I said, it happens in early Feb, but it overlaps with the Sapporo White Illumination Festival. And that takes place for a longer period of time. So if you're visiting from mid-November to mid-Feb, you'll see strings of white lights adorning the same areas that these ice sculptures take over. Very pretty. Anyone who listens to the podcast knows that James and I are obsessed with anything food related. So tell us then any recommendations on dishes for winter. Yep. So much like Seoul, I would say that it's staving off the winter chills with hearty comfort food. And you've got some really great regional dishes in this area. So these include things like springy noodles and miso heavy soup. So Sapporo ramen is really is really great. And warming soup curries. The last thing that I'll end with is a hot pot dish, which is nabemono. And that will really keep you warm, especially if you have that with some hot sake. Excellent. Yeah, eating and drinking all the way. <laughs> some fantastic Asian winter destinations, Zoe. Thanks so much. No worries. Thank you for having me, guys. Thanks, Zoe. Eh?
Oh, wow. So huge thank you to all of our guests. I think we've gone around the world. Yeah. I'm still thinking back to some of Dan's foodie recommendations. I was going to say all of the food, to be honest. It's not a where to go podcast without a lot of chat about food. And I'm really, really hungry now. <laughs> but yeah, thanks so much to Dan, to Leela and to Zoe as well. We hope you've enjoyed this listener and have got a few bits of inspiration for your own winter getaways. I'll be planning it for next winter, unfortunately. Yes, indeed. 2024. <laughs> 2024 is our year for sure. And so we don't know necessarily where we're going next time. It'll be a total surprise, but we shall see you in a fortnight. So it's goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. And we shall see you very soon. Where to Go is a podcast from DK Witness. It was produced by Julia Baker, presented by Lucy Richards and James Atkinson with the help of Bella Talbot. For more information about DK Witness, follow us on social media at DK Witness or visit dk.com forward slash eyewitness. And please like and follow the show. And if you have time, leave a review. Your support means so much to us. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.